Good morning and thank you for being part of our ministry at The Battles Within. This morning we'll be discussing, uh, looking at God's Word in Jonah chapter 3. Before we get started, we want to have a word of prayer because always His Word, His power, His Spirit is what we want in anything that we do here at The Battles Within. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have that we can come and we can share your word with these people from around the world, Lord, who are watching and listening, those now and those that will listen in the future, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunities. Again, we pray, Lord, for this lesson this morning, that you would reach into the pages of your word and allow me to share the things that you would have for us in this day and time today and understand and see the situation that was at in in Nineveh and in Assyria and, and the situation with Jonah and help us, Lord, to see and place ourselves there in that environment, in that situation and understand your message to them and your message to us in America today. Again, thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. Forgive us for our sins. Lead us, Lord, in whatever we do. For it's in your Holy Son's name we pray, the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, today we are, as I stated, we are going to be covering uh, Jonah chapter 3. So, who is Jonah in the Bible? You know, Jonah is identified as a prophet and a servant of God. And he was, he, 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 his time period of ministry was during King Jeroboam II of Israel. Remember, you had Judah in the southern kingdoms and Israel in the northern kingdoms. And Jonah time period was between 792 and 753 BC. So his ministering actually was uh, one year short of 40 years. So 39 years he was ministering. And you can find this, by the way, in 2 Kings 14, 25, and 24. The name of Jonah means dove. Uh, I'm not sure that's significant or not, but uh, sometimes there are people that do Bible studies on names. God gave people names for certain reasons. Sometimes they do. I'm not sure in this case that that means anything, but his name meant dove. Uh, he was commissioned to convey a message from God to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. That's really what the whole thrust of the book of Jonah is about. So we don't really know about the other prophecies or the other work that he did during those 40, 39 years, but we know this particular incident here kind of makes him stand out. Let's look at the book of Jonah. Uh, there is no indication of Jonah's prophetic activity in the land of Israel. So we have no idea that Jonah was a prophet in the land of Israel. We know he ministered during the time period. What did he do? He, wasn't, he did not necessarily prophesy the word of God. We know that uh, the book begins with the instruction that God gave him. He said, Arise, and we see this in verse 2 of chapter 1, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. So, why was Nineveh important? Well, Nineveh was founded by Nimrod, 
shortly after the flood. So it was one of the oldest cities at that time in existence. Right? I understand because it, it was formed by Nimrod after, shortly after the flood in Genesis 10, 11, and 12. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which rose to power in about 900 B.C. Jonah likely saw the nation of Assyria as a threat to his own people of Israel, you know, fearing what they eventually would do because they were powerful people. They were also an evil nation. Extremely, extremely brutal, cruel. They even skinned their captives alive for enjoyment. The prophet Nahum describes them as lions tearing and feeding on nations. That's in Nahum, uh, Nahum uh, 2, verses 11 and 13. This was an evil, evil empire. Around 740 B.C., just a matter of decades after Jonah delivered his warning to Nineveh, God used the Assyrians to begin the process of punishing Israel for their sins. God uses wicked men to accomplish his punishment on the earth. What he does is he allows them to do that. He takes his hand of protection off. America today is protected by God. Because of the Christians who are in our nation who are praying to God every day. But I just did a study that says our influence is waning. More and more people, even in the Christian church, are not practicing Christianity. They are practicing immorality. They're allowing things. Uh, from homosexual marriages in the church to to uh, openly accepting uh premarital sex openly many churches that want to put their names on the Jesus's name on their church door or their denomination proclaims to follow Jesus have now put the rainbow flag not worshiping God but worshiping man and the uh, and free sexuality between uh, men and women between men and men and women and women and endorsing that. I mean, the, the, the nation of America is soon becoming overrun. There's more people who don't truly believe in God than believe in God. That's the way it's really always been anyway, you understand. But now the nation is being driven by those. So we see here that the Assyrian army, the Syrians, were wicked people that God used in 740 to accomplish his will to punish Israel. Now, you can also read that Assyria, God had a promise for Assyria that they would suffer because of their uh, overzealousness uh, at punishing the Israeli people, the nation of Israel. Well, in 721 BC, the Assyrian army uh, destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel completely. So in less than 19 years, from the time they began to punish Israel for their sins, not doing it in the name of God, doing it in the name of their own lustfulness, desiring power and 
and uh, things of that nature. But we see in less than 19 years, they totally destroyed. Matter of fact, taking all of the 10 tribes, and they were called the lost tribes of Israel because they dispersed them throughout the world at the time. So we see Jonah. Jonah disobeys God in the book of Jonah and flees. Instead of going eastward towards Nineveh, as God had told him to do, Jonah boards a ship and heads westerly, away from where God. Instead of going towards where he wanted to go, he deliberately turned and went 180 the other way. He probably went to Tarsus, which he went to Tarsus, which is a city likely located in modern Spain today. So God sent a storm to overtake the boat. You know, we all know this story. Most of us know this story. You know, why did Jonah disregard God's command? We already said because God told Jonah to take a message of repentance to this empire that he knew was destined to destroy his own nation and people one day. They were a threat. They were a valid, legitimate threat to him, to them, to his nation. Uh, Jonah knew the Assyrians were capable of doing anything. And he knew that if they listened to God's warning, that God is merciful and God will, if they repented, that God would spare them. And they would remain a looming threat. He knew this because God is that way, right? God is not a specter of person. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jonah wanted to see Nineveh destroyed so that they eliminate the threat. So out of a patriotic zeal for his nation, perhaps, it could be that he had a, he was a racist. You know, racism today is a word that splashed around too much. Uh, uh, you know, he could be a racist against Assyrians. They just didn't like Assyrians because they were simply Assyrians. You understand? Um, there's people who don't like Israel today just because, I mean, just don't like Jews today just because they're from Israel. Uh, it, it's that way. Some people don't like uh, other people. Some people don't like Americans because they come from America. You know, when you go to the Far East, uh, any Americans are in danger of being captured and and uh, uh, taken hostage by these terrorist organizations so that they can use them as pawns. They hate Americans. Unfortunately, we have some friendly nations who hate America. They're not friendly if they hate America. But we see that, that Jonah could have simply hated Assyria and the nation of Assyria for fear uh, and, and fear of what might happen because of the things that they did and what they might do to Israel. He shuddered to consider the implications if Nineveh actually responded to his message, prolonging the life of this brutal, ruthless, and bloodthirsty nation, threatening the existence of God's people. So Jonah felt he knew better than God. It comes out of that, doesn't it? Jonah felt he knew better than God. You know, when God tells us to do something, we think, do we say, hold on, I don't agree with that. Hold on. <laughs> you don't agree with it. I didn't know this was a choice. You know, people ask me, what do you think about the death penalty? I don't have a thought about the death penalty. You don't have a thought? No. I don't have an opinion about the death penalty. Well, don't you? No, I don't have an opinion about the death penalty because the word tells us, the Bible tells us in Genesis that whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man his blood shall be required. That's capital punishment. I don't have an opinion. 
I don't have a right to override the Word of God. I just trust the Word of God. I rely upon the Word of God. The Word of God reveals that to me. You understand? I mean, God's Word says that it is so. Whether you accept it or not is irrelevant. I always heard some people say, you know, God said you believe it. Is No, it don't matter if you believe it. If God's Word says it, it's so. So there's some things we don't have opinions about. There's some things we follow. Some things we simply trust because God has given it to us. Well, here, Jonah thinks that he knows better than God, right? I don't agree with this. I think God's making a mistake. God never makes a mistake. Now, we make mistakes, and we suffer because choices we make in life, but it's not God who chose it for us. It's we chose to do that. We chose to do those things. People say when they have a loved one who are killed by a drunk driver, they get mad at God. Why did God allow this to happen? First of all, it was the person, the sin of that person that caused the damage. It wasn't God. God tells us that it's a poor man wants to die and then the judgment that we should all be ready in a moment, in an instant. God promised us all death. We need to pray for our loved ones that they know God. We need to pray that we need to get our people right because we don't know the time. It is appointed a man wants to die and then the judgment. God knows when that time will be. God doesn't control man's sin. God gives us choices. But here, Jonah felt like he was uh, didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And so, uh, most of us have heard the story of Jonah and the whale. Well, first of all, the Bible doesn't say it's a whale. You would say, well, the King James Version says the well. Yeah, that's because there's no word in the Hebrew language for well. There's a word for great fish. We know Jonah 1.17 says, And the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So in Hebrew, remember the, uh, the, the, the Old Testament was mostly written in Chaldees. And the New Testament was written in Hebrew. So the Hebrew language was not what was used here. It was the Chaldean language. Anyway, in Hebrew text of Jonah 1-2 actually reads Dagodola, or great fish, rather than a technical term for well. But since Hebrew possessed no special word for well, and since no true fish as opposed to a marine mammal is known to possess a stomach as capable as a whale's, it is reasonable to adhere to the traditional interpretation at this point. That's what one of the text writers said. That's Gleason A. Archer Jr. in his book, A Survey of Old Testament Introductions. So we see that the Bible actually doesn't say a well. Now, in the New Testament, you'll say that the Bible does say well. That's because it was interpreted that way, not from the original. The term well is found in the King James Version in Matthew 20, 40. It says Jonah was in the well's belly. The words translated form a broader form meaning well. The Greek word ketos means a sea monster, well, huge fish. So it could have been a sea monster, well, you. It really doesn't matter, does it? You know, sometimes we get bogged down on these things. Some critics have questioned whether a whale's throat would be large enough. Others uh, counter that it depends on the species of the whales. Uh, what's important to know that the Bible doesn't claim that it was a whale. It claims it was a great fish. But even more, 
Remember, with all things are possible. Because remember, God said, uh, well, when people question how God could have done something, you know, like put him in the made of fish big enough for the well. Remember Jeremiah 32, 17. Lord, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power, stretched out arms, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Um, so maybe God sent a well to swallow Jonah. But on the other hand, perhaps just some enormous fish that God prepared. Because the Bible said that God prepared a great fish. God specifically prepared a great fish. So this could have been a special design. God specifically designed this fish with this compartment, with this stomach, to hold this man, Jonah, for three days. That wouldn't be too hard to believe. That this was a unique fish. Um, so he's perfectly capable of doing that. Now, it's interesting that it says the sign of Jonah. Jesus verified the book of Jonah. Some people say, well, this book can't be real. Jesus himself verified the book of Jonah and these events. Matthew 12, 38 through 41. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonah was three days... And three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment against this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. See, Jesus validated that the story of Jonah was true. It's not just a story, but it happened. And Jesus himself proclaimed it and the situation that we'll be studying. The book of Jonah, let's look at the book just a moment. One of the major themes is the relationship between God and Jonah. Throughout the book, you see the relationship. It's really a, really a message between, you can see Jonah and God and the conflict, more so than the conflict between Nineveh and God. Uh, we do see that God had an extraordinary capacity for re for forgiving those who truly repent. Not just Nineveh, but Jonah. See, God forgave both for different things, but both were sin. In Jonah chapter 1, God commissioned Jonah to take a message to Nineveh, but Jonah feared the wicked city and therefore referred they might repent, and therefore didn't want to do it. Uh, instead of obeying God, Jonah ran away, boarding a vessel, headed for Tarsus, but God had other plans. We know about the great storm. All this is in Jonah chapter, this is all in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is delivered from the belly of the fish. He cries out to God for deliverance, and he realizes that unless God intervenes, he would undoubtedly die. So God arranged Jonah to be vomited by the fish on the dry land. So now we come to lesson today's lesson in Jonah chapter 3. God gave his commission to Jonah a second time. This time Jonah was ready to obey. You know, isn't it interesting that it took 
Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2 for Jonah to get to chapter 3. You understand? We could have already been about God's business in chapter 1 had Jonah done what God told him to do. But instead, it took time, it took heartache, it took pain and suffering because Jonah didn't do what God asked him to do the first time. That's the message to us. When God asks you to do something, do it. God called me into the ministry back in my 20s, but I did not call answer the call until 59, two years ago. Well, it's been a year in January. I'm going on my second year. You understand uh, why God, life now, I was still in ministry. I was working youth ministry, and God was still using me, and I'm thankful for that. But called to be a, a preacher was not something I answered for a variety of things. Those of you that know me know my life story and know the situations in my life that hindered me. But uh, that's beside the point. The point is, I had to go through chapter 1 and chapter 2 to get to chapter 3. And here we are with Jonah in chapter 3. Are you doing that in your life? Are you going through, to, through Jonah chapter 1 and 2 to get to Jonah chapter 3? That's the message in itself, isn't it? Uh, why do we have to go through 1 and 2 to get 3? Why do we have to go through life's fish rebelling from God so that God has to put us in the belly of a fish for three days, figuratively speaking? Why do we have to become and we have to go through all that pain and suffering instead of just doing what God asked us to do the first time? So we come to chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord and the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, I am so thankful for this verse. In Jonah chapter 1, it said, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, but now it says, And the Lord as God it says, the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Even though Jonah had rejected him and rebelled from him, God had forgiven him and not only forgiven him, but restored him back to the position that he needed to be. It's unclear how much time passed since his fishy experience. Some believe that Jonah traveled after threw up on the side of the shore, traveled back to the temple and had sacrificed for his sins of rebellion so he could restore his relationship. Because Jonah had rebelled against God and God had chastened him with a fish. But see, Jonah in the belly of the fish came to recognize his sin and the penalty for his actions. Now he needed to restore his relationship with God. You know, once we recognize our sin, we need to get our relationship back with God. Once you recognize that you sinned against somebody, you need to go to that person and get reconciliation, just like you do with God. You need to restore yourself with them. Now, if they hear Ezekiel last week, right? God told Ezekiel, listen, if they, if they, some will listen and some won't. If they do, okay. If they don't, that's okay, but you're free. Same is true. If you sin against somebody, you go and ask forgiveness for them and they forgive you, great and wonderful. If they don't, that's okay. You've done what you needed to do. But when we come to God, we need to ask God forgiveness. And one thing about God, God is faithful and just. 
and will forgive us all of our unrighteousness if we just ask him. So he came to him. He needed to restore his relationship so that he could be used again. See, God wants to use us. You know, there's no, I don't think there's, there, there's things in life that can hinder you from being certain things, but there's always a place in God's army for you. There's a place in God's family and there's a place of service for all of us. Get busy serving God. Some say, well, I'm in a nursing home and I can't do anything. Wrong! You can be a mighty prayer warrior. You can take a list of the prayer requests that the churches offer and you can, you can pray daily. Matter of fact, you have more time on your hands to pray than other people. You can pray. You can talk with other people. You can share with those people in the rest home. You can be a witness there. You can be God's representative there. There's no reason why you can't. Don't give up the fight. Put on the whole armor of God. Wear the armor till the end. So you can be like Paul that I have fought my fight. I have, I have kept the faith. Henceforth lay up me a crown of righteousness. Anyway, I digress. So we see in Jonah chapter 1 again, shows the amazing love of God. Though Jonah did everything he could to resist the first call of God, after Jonah repented, God called him again. Now, God was no under, under no obligation to do it. He did it out of mercy and grace. Verse 2. He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. See, God tells him again to go to Nineveh. God has a plan. And that plan never changes. You know, well, maybe God will reconsider. God doesn't reconsider his plans. His plans are sure. Before the foundations of the world was even laid, Christ was already committed to die for our sins. You understand? Before Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, ever created the first thing, the earth was void without form and darkness upon the face of the earth. Before that moment in time, God had already ordained, predestined Christ to die on the cross for our sins. See, God has a plan. It never changes. And God relies upon his servants to execute that plan. You know, God has no time means nothing to God. So if there's no one there to do that act, God can wait. He can wait. He's patient. He's got time. Time means nothing to him. If you have no beginning and no end, time doesn't mean anything. He doesn't wait three or four more generations until the right person comes along. The person who he knows has faith in him. The person he knows is going to trust in him. Not that God made him that way, right? But that person chose to be that way. See, you have a will. You have a way. You have the choices. And God knows who was coming in time. He knew who was going to be here. He knew who would choose to worship him and not worship him. And therefore, he laid his plans out in alignment to that. When you see the entire board from finished beginning to end, you know where to put your, your, your uh, events. The Bible tells us when the time was right, Christ came and died for the ungodly. God put him 
perfectly where he needed to be for those things to fall into place because God could see the entire board. We only see through the glass dimly. So God had a plan. He revealed on his servants to execute the plan. That great city, he says, go tell Nineveh that great city. That great city is not about its power here. But God sees its population of souls. God sees the souls in that city. And he says, and preaching unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, the word preach means to proclaim. There were all kinds of preachers in those days. Preachers were simply people that went into the streets and shouted out messages. Uh, not just religious messages. I mean, they could have been advertising upcoming local events, uh, legal notices, even possible sale on Hamel care, Hamel, uh, camel hair coats. But see, God tells them to get there, and then I'm going to tell you what you need to say. Now, this is different than the first request. Remember, the first request in Jonah 1, 2 said, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He told them what to say. This time, it didn't matter what I want you to do. Just go, and then I'll give you the message, and I know you will do it. See, God didn't need to tell him in advance what he was going to do. Now, why did God tell him the first time? Because he knew what he was going to do. He, he knew that he was going to do that. And God needed to have Jonah go through this battle. God needed Jonah to get his life straight. Jonah had a problem answering to God without question. And so God had to put him through this situation. God has to put us through situations because we aren't willing to answer the first time to his call. All the sufferings that we go through, like Jonah went through, because we rebelled against God and didn't do what he wants us to do the first time. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So it says, Jonah arose and went in according to the word of God, having learned the lesson that resisting the will of God is both futile and counterproductive. Jonah now obeys the call and goes to Nineveh. We don't see any fussing, any fighting. He packs his bag and heads to Nineveh. Now it says, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. Now what that means is that wasn't that it took three days to get there. Because it probably took a lot more than that. But that the city itself was huge. Uh, the greater Nineveh itself was a city about 64 miles around. It was 18 miles long and 14 miles wide. It was much bigger than the city of Babylon. It was huge. The walls were 100 feet high. Uh, they were broad enough where they could run eight chariots side by side. They had over 1,500 towers that surrounded the city walls. They had them enough so that each archer could hit targets. There was archer within the archer's flight. So that, you know, that, that if the archer couldn't hit it with their bow, they built another tower that could. It's kind of like cell towers today. <laughs> Sailor phone towers, you know, they pop up and they have to be so many. They're like 14 to 15 miles away from each tower and they overlap. So that they know where to go, so you can transfer one to the other. That's kind of like that. That they the the these fifteen hundred towers around the wall was so that if anybody came up, the archers there were archer towers to attack them. There were no dead spots, you could say. Verse four, 
And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey. And he cried and said, 40 days and Nineveh will be here. So he entered the city a day's journey. Now, I don't believe that Jonah entered the city and went a day in and began to preach. I believe Jonah began to preach the word of God as soon as he hit the city limits. And I think what this says here is that, that he, he preached for a day's journey into the city. Remember, it takes three days to pass it. So he's approximately a third of the way into the city. And he began to preach the word. He began to preach about the, the, the destruction coming to Nineveh. And, and a third of the way into the city, all of the city heard about it. It was spreading faster than wildfire. There was people coming from all over the city to see him. There was Dave, probably people coming from the other outer ranks to hear what he had to say. No doubt this began to get to the king's notice. Everybody was hearing about this prophet of God, Jehovah, that was coming and preaching the doom because of their sinfulness. It says he cried, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, by the way, this is the only prophecy in this book. The book of Jonah only has one prophecy, and this is it. And it didn't come about. But yet, Jonah was a true prophet. Why? Because the prophecy was was um, was uh, a conditional prophecy. But we'll get to talk about that in a minute. The word "overthrown" was recognized by the people. He said that uh, uh, Four days and dinner shall be overthrown. The word overthrown implies the same word that was used of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So see, no doubt the people understood the comparison. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, Jonah said? Your city is going to be destroyed. God is going to destroy your city in 40 days. The same as he did Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to overthrow it. He's going to destroy this city with fire and brimstone or whatever. God is going to overthrow this city. Now, no doubt this comparison implied because there could not appear to be any kingdom. There was no kingdom or army that in any way could compete with the Assyrians at this moment in time. None. They were the most powerful kingdom of that no one even dared come to this city and attack it. Right? It was huge city with huge fortifications. Impossible. So what they understood that when the seas were overthrown, that there was going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire from heaven. They understood that. The people understood they were talking about that. Now, Jonah knew that this prophecy was conditional also. Um, that's why he didn't want to go. Remember Jonah chapter 4. We'll see in Jonah. We won't see it, but in the lesson, if you read Jonah chapter 4, when the people repented, it says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was this not my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled into Tarsus, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, <coughs> slow to anger and of great kindness and of repentance and repenteth thee of evil. See, also we know that there had been no need for him to preach to the people if there was no hope. 2 Peter 3, 9 said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. See, God is not willing that any should perish, even these wicked uh, Assyrians. 
So we see then verse 5, how did they respond? So the people of Nineveh believed God. See, Jesus tells us what happens in Matthew 12, 41. Remember, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And greater than Jonah is here. See, this is exactly what Jonah feared. Repentance begins with believing in God. You cannot be saved if you don't believe in God. These people that are teaching that God is not real are trying. They're, they're workers of evil, workers of Satan, because if you don't believe in him, you cannot be saved by him. Uh, as we believe in him and his word, we have the power to transform our lives to his will, to what he wants us to do. You know, you can do many other things associated with repentance. You know, you can fall on your face. You can do all kinds of things. But if you do not, it does not begin with believing and trusting in God, then there's useless works of faith. You can't believe God apart from his word. Uh, there's a song we're sung, I've told you many times, by Ricky Skagg. Go look it up on YouTube. It says, if you don't believe the Bible, then you don't know the Lord. It's impossible to be saved without the word. For the preaching and teaching of God's word is what leads men, women, boys and girls to him. If you don't believe the word. So that's why so many people try to discredit the word of God. Try to discredit the word of God. But you have to trust in his word. That's the only way you can know about God. And that's the only way you can believe in God. Don't let people steal from you the truth that the word of God is true, inerrant, infallible. It will stand the test of time because it is truth. Therefore, any genuine revival begins with full, faithful preaching and faithful hearing of the Word of God. Verse 5b, and, and proclaimed a fast. So it says, the people believed God and they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest even of them to the least. So what did Nineveh do after hearing the Word? First of all, they believed God. Before you can be saved, you've got to believe God. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ His Son. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the least to the greatest. Now sackcloth are thick, coarse cloth customarily made out of goat's hair. And wearing it displays a rejection of earthly comforts and pleasure. So they all, women, men, Boys, girls, wealthy, poor, they all put on sackcloth. It says, verse 6, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robes from him, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The king, the leader of these people, became an example. He took off his royal robe, he, he put on sackcloth. And then he sat in ashes. That's a sign of total nothingness. Everything is ruined. You have nothing left. Verse 7 and 8a. And he caused it, he, the, he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. 
saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. So the king passed the law. Him and all the nobles, all the rulers, the, the legislator got together and passed a law that no person or animal should eat food or drink water. They couldn't even taste anything. That every person, every beast be covered in sackcloth. Not just the women, men's women, boys and girls, but the animals will be covered in sackcloth. Everyone should cry out forgiveness from God for their sins. Verse 8b, yet Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Even the king recognized that simply confessing their sin would not satisfy God's wrath. Only turning from that confessed sin would be true. But isn't it interesting that, that the king and the Assyrians did not say, Oh, we're not guilty. We didn't do anything wrong. The first thing you got to do before you're saved is get lost. You got to get a person lost before they're saved. Those people that says, I'm fine, I don't need anything. Yeah, you're right. You need to be saved. You got a problem. Those of us that are Christians, we say we still are sinners. We struggle every day with sin in our lives. We pray for God to guide us. This flesh is weak. Paul said, the good I do, I would not do. I mean, the good I should do, I don't do it. But the evil I should not do, that's what I wind up doing. Paul himself struggled with sin every day. But God says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we just ask him. So we as Christians recognize our sin daily. You've got to be right with God. You've got to recognize your sin. And so these people recognize their sin. They didn't make excuses for it. The king said, put it aside. Turn from it. You can't just confess it. You've got to forget. You've got to turn it away. Verse 9. And he said, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. The king simply said, I don't know if God will turn from his anger because of our sins and not destroy us, but this is the only chance we have. He recognized they deserve to be destroyed. See, we as Christians recognize we deserve hell. Everyone deserves hell. There's none righteous. No, not one. We recognize that. These Ninevites recognized their sin. Understand, they heard the word of God preached and it pierced their heart. And it made a change in their lives and they were truly repentant for their sin and recognized that God had the right to destroy them. And he said, look, the law passed said, we're not going to eat or drink until this is resolved. And so, in other words, we'll die in our hunger and thirst if God does not forgive and save us from the wrath to come. We're going to give it all. There's no turning back. God forgives us or he destroys us. That's what it comes down to. Because we're not going to eat or drink or anything until God saves us from his wrath. You know, repentance brings hope. The king and the people hoped that God would hear and see their genuine repentance and not destroy them. They truly repented it is clear they recognize that they deserve the punishment. Verse 10, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil ways, and God repented of the evil that he had done, the evil that he said 
uh, God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. See, God saw their actions outwardly, but more important than that, he saw their actions inwardly. See, repentance comes from inside and results in outward actions. People can go to the altar and say they get saved and then continue to live in sin. They didn't repent of their sin. You can ask God to forgive you your sin and continue on in your sin. You haven't repented of your sin. We're reminded in John 3.19, I mean 1 Peter 3.9, Remember, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all kind of repentance. See, God did not execute judgment on these people. God is merciful and loves us. He never desires evil for any of His children. His wrath is poured out on those who practice ungodliness, and unrighteousness. Revelations 18 through 22 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Because these people repented and truly turned to Him and away from their sin, God spared them. Conclusion When God's Word is preached, mankind hears and has a choice. They can continue in their sin and face God's wrath or they can turn from their evil ways and repent. These heathen Assyrians heard the judgment and wrath of God on them because of their sins and recognized it was all true. They saw they deserved the judgment and the wrath to come. They decided they needed to repent, turn with hope that God would forgive them and in spite of themselves. So God did and the nation was preserved. Oh, that America today would hear the story and do the same. Our nation is far from God and moving light speed away from His righteousness. Unless our leaders see the truth, turn, our nation will face the wrath of God that God had in store for Nineveh. Let's pray that God sends some Jonas into our land and preach the coming wrath in such a way that our people hear, that our leaders turn to God before we face the wrath intended for Nineveh. Folks, America can be saved, but we got to do what Nineveh did. We got to put on sackcloth and ashes. We got to repent of our sins. We got to turn from our evil ways. I don't see it happening. But neither did Nineveh. No one would have thought that happened to Nineveh, but God's Spirit can work miracles. Let's pray for America today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have that we can come and we can learn about your word. Help us, Lord, to learn from Nineveh and learn, Lord, that Jonah preached the message that the Ninevite people heard and took real and changed their lives so that they spared the destruction. I pray for America today, Lord, that you send Jonas throughout our land, that we preach the truth of the gospel so that men, women, boys, and girls hear the truth, that our leaders hear the truth and turn from their wicked, wicked ways and come back to you before we see 
the destruction that you will send upon our land for our rebellion. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thank you for your time and for your attention. Truly, this is a great message from God today. And um, I pray that you share God's Word with someone else. Get them to know the truth of the Word of God. And then we can all be Jonas as we face the trying times ahead. Thank you and see you next time.